bowels of muggy Tallahassee. Um, hanging out here, walking through the book of Revelation. We are up to Revelation chapter 9. So approaching the halfway point here into this um, pretty amazing book. Before we get rolling, um, drinking from, of course, my official Walt Disney World mug. You may say, Pastor Paul, what makes that one special? Well, this one's my personalized Mickey mug with my own initial right on the front. So there's that. Hey, let me pray for us, and we're going to look at the fifth and sixth trumpets this morning. It's a long passage. It's all, all of chapter 9. We're not going to read it, all of it. We're just going to reference different portions of it. But let me pray. We'll dive in. Lord, um, we're coming to a chapter that time to you and ask that you would be working in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and then of course, just as we pray, um, somebody fires up the weed eater um, near here. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna endure, persevere through this. The seven trumpets. What what is the what is the meaning or what is the significance of this idea of trumpets? And if you think of if you know I'm a nerd and a Lord of the Rings fan, and so remember, in the Return of the King, the riders of Rohan are. Uh, are making their way from Rohan over to Gondor to come to their aid. And the, and the Rohahim, the cavalry, are marshaled together. And remember there's that poignant scene where they come over the crest of the hill and they see the thousands of invading armies of orcs. And it's kind of, they're taken aback a little bit, but they all muster together and they proceed their charge with what? A trumpet blast, right? And this trumpet blast is one is meant to marshal their own forces, and this would have been, have been a been a kind of call to arms. But for the for those on the imposing side, okay, these trumpets would have been a sound of dread, a sound of judgment. They would have known that someone is coming in to um, to kill them, to attack them, and 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 this is the sense in which these trumpets um, are. This is the function they're playing at this point of John's. Um, visions, right? That these are um, these are judgments, or these are unfolding of events. Okay, that have great encouragement for the people of God, because God is going to be righting every wrong. He is going to be fixing um, the injustices in the world. While at the same time, it's going to be terrifying to the forces that are being. Uh, that that these trumpets are being unleashed against okay now the particular emphasis of these trumpets okay or unfolding of events between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is going to emphasize the 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 demonic nature of the world we live in or more specifically the 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 reality of spiritual beings and as we think about that you know, even as, you know, as, as Christians in our 21st century context, though, it's very easy to be aloof from this idea of spiritual realities or demonic forces or angelic forces. It seems so fairy tale. It seems so abstract. It seems so, um, you know, just something that, you know, is, is sort of on the fringes of what the Bible teaches. But in reality, this idea of spiritual warfare is really um, at the heart and stands behind uh, 
what we are walking through on a daily basis. And so my prayer this morning is that we would gain a greater appreciation of that and that would have transformed the way we pray. It would transform the way we think. It would give us more of a sense of urgency, spiritual urgency about the nature of the battle that we are in. But look in verse one, it says, the fifth, fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Well, well, who is this star that's fallen from heaven to earth? Well, if you have your Bibles, and I'm, I'm certain that you do, if you look back to Luke chapter 10, verse 18, after Jesus had sent his disciples out to do healing and public ministry, Jesus has a very interesting thing to say. He, he, he notes that the nature of this ministry is spiritual in nature because it's coming to oppose the forces, uh, the demonic forces of Satan. And listen to verse 17 of chapter 10 in Luke. He says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so John's playing off this Luke and account of how Satan is this star. And of course, he's been cast down from earth, he and the fallen angels, because they rebelled against God. And for a season, they have been given a measure of power and authority to make war, to inflict suffering and death upon the inhabitants of the earth. Now, in this passage, Satan is the star, and then there is all this just bizarre language about locusts, and they appear this way, and they look this way. And, and probably these locusts, remember this is playing off the plagues, um, the Egyptian plagues in, the, in Exodus, these locusts are undoubtedly demonic forces, and, and, and so this is kind of the, picturing the spiritual on, uh, assault against the earth by Satan and his fallen angels, his dominion, symbolized by locusts. And if you'd like, notice in verse 7 the way John describes, okay, these locusts. In appearance, the locusts were like, or they looked like. And again, John's probably having a hard time even putting into human words what he is observing, okay, in these visions in heaven, right? And, and so, so John's setting the stage for us as these, these demonic forces have been um, unleashed upon the earth. However, and you've heard us say this before in relationship to the book of Job, these, are, these satanic forces are always on what I would kind of call a holy leash, a divine leash, a sovereign leash. So in other words, they are there by God's permission. Satan has no authority except what has been granted to him for a time in this life to torment uh, those on the earth who do not belong to Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I say that he is on a short leash, look back at the text for a second. It says that um, he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, which I think is a metaphor for hell. But if you, if you give, turn back in Revelation to 1 verse 18, Jesus wants to remind us of something, okay? Revelation 1 18. Remember when he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and in the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And listen, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So this key to death and Hades has been given to Satan, in a sense, for a season, okay? But make no mistake, Satan never operates, okay, out from under the sovereign hand and control of 
of God, okay? And that's important for us to remember as believers because isn't it interesting that, that here, and, and now I'm going to point to verse 4, um, where Satan's dominions are told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So in other words, remember how we talked about the people of God have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. They are protected spiritually. Well, what this means is that we who know Christ, um, our souls are not threatened by the schemes of Satan. That, as Luther said, the body they may kill, right? But God's truth abideth still. In other words, we do suffer the effects of sin. We do suffer the ravages of the judgments of this earth, okay? Physically, okay? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And of course, um, suffering inflicts God's people as well as those who don't know God. But yet what distinguishes the believer in this life is not that we are shielded from physical suffering or other kinds of suffering. It's just that our souls are secure, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. They don't threaten, okay, the most important part of us, which is our souls before God. Now, make no mistake, though, Satan is given a pretty powerful measure of leeway in this life. Um, when you look at this this opening, this fifth trumpet, you see all these this imagery about smoke and fire that's appearing. And I think this is to denote this idea that, you know, with smoke and fire, it's very difficult to see, right? And I think that, that John is reminding us that in this life, part of Satan's schemes is to deceive, okay? Is to blind, to spiritually blind people. And I think we have warrant for, for seeing this in the way that Paul talks about the spiritual realities of this life. Again, turn in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. This is a pretty powerful statement. Okay, look at verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you see what's happening there? So, so part of Satan's chief design in this life is to deceive the hearts and minds of unbelievers, to deceive them. And, and part of this deception happens, okay, by, by what we would kind of call spiritual despair, okay? So, so these locusts are obviously patterned after uh, taking the imagery from the plagues in Egypt, okay? And if you remember, that as these plagues descended upon the people of Egypt, um, they there was there, there was sorrow, right? There was despair. There was this sense of their gods were not superior to the God to to, to God to Yahweh, the God um, in of, of the Israelites, and there was a sense of futility. But isn't it interesting that the Egyptians never really repented, right? They were despairing. They were in psychological despair. Um, there was a sense of hopelessness. There was a sense of, of our gods are not as powerful as the God of the Israelites. But yet, they never really repented to life. Okay, Even when Pharaoh relented to let the people go, um, he changed his mind. His heart was still 
hardened, okay? And I think that's a good example of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians of having a worldly sorrow. See, worldly sorrow is geared towards um, um, sorrow over what we have lost, okay? Godly sorrow is, is grieved over what our sin has done in our relationship with God, okay? And so, so what we find is that, and this is always a good measure of, of repentance, you know, is it, is it evoking change? Is it, is it evoking a Godward direction? Or is it more evoking kind of an inward despair? And what's, what, what this fifth trumpet is basically saying is that for those who do not belong to God, those who have not been sealed by the Holy Spirit, these judgments invoke despair. They invoke a sense of spiritual hopelessness but not enough, okay, for them to actually turn and repent. And is that not what we see in our day and age, right? I mentioned this before, we, we don't have a category, okay, as an unbelieving world of forgiveness or atonement, okay? Um, we have a category for justice, but we have no place to park that justice. We have no, there, there's no human, ultimate human resolution to it. And we see that in our day and age where we're seeking different solutions and we're trying to affect change, but without the heart of the gospel, okay, in the person of Jesus Christ, all of that will have very short term effects. It'll be, it'll be very futile. All right, now, John ends this, this particular part of the vision with his, with his sixth trumpet. And again, um, he's just emphasizing um, metaphors and piling metaphors on top of metaphors. And here is what he's saying is that ultimately all of this futility on earth ends in death. Okay. Now we know that death hits both believers and unbelievers. But because the believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit, this is not a death that leads to eternal separation from God, right? So, so what are a few applications point points for us? Remember, spirit the spiritual dimension in this life is real, Christian. And so, just as Peter reminds us that Satan is a is a roaring lion, seeking he's prowling around, seeking to conquer and devour. This should inspire us. This should help us to be alert. This should direct our prayers. We should be in a state of spiritual mindedness in whatever we are doing praying that the God of this age, Satan, who's blinded the minds of unbelievers, that God's spirit would awaken those hearts. No amount of persuasive words or technique or um, um, strategy can lift that veil, only the power of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that even as we as believers are on earth experiencing in part, okay, the, the upheaval of this earth and the, and the growth pains of, of being in childbirth that this earth has, it's fallen, it's, it's broken, that, that we're not always going to be protected physically, right? But spiritually, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit um, for the day of salvation. And this should inspire us, should encourage us um, towards God today. So, so that's the nature of the fifth and sixth seals. Tomorrow will be our last devotional of the week before the weekend. We're going to talk about the angel and the little scroll. There's a little, little parenthetical thought here about the way that God wants to encourage us specifically as believers in this season of unrest. And we'll be there tomorrow, same time, same station. Let me pray. Father, um, 
we pray that we would just be stand back and amazed that there's nothing that happens in this life outside of your sovereign hand, whether it's by permission or whether it's by what you allow or whether or whether it's what you're how you're designing things to work for our good. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not fear, but we would trust in you, walk with you, cognizant of the spiritual battle that we're in, but confident that you have secured that victory in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Bye.